Welcome, church. I am so grateful to see all of you this morning. Thank you for those who are joining us online today. So glad that you can be a part of us today. We start a three-week sermon series called Gratitude, Living a Life of Thankfulness. And truly, we have a lot to be grateful for, don't we? Well, the late actress, singer, Doris Day, put it this way. Gratitude is riches. Complaint is poverty. Does any more need to be said? Does anything, anything more need to be said? Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Just kidding. I can't believe that 11 days from now, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving Day. And I don't know about you, uh, we all have our differences, but Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Now, that doesn't mean I do not appreciate Christmas. I do not appreciate thanks, uh, Easter and Pentecost. I, I, but there's something special about waking up on Thanksgiving morning, early for me, sitting in my living room that I never usually get to sit in, only on holidays. <laughs> Isn't it funny we have these living rooms and we never use them? We always sit in a TV room. And, and I just love sitting in that living room. Reflecting upon the goodness of God in my life and all that I am grateful for. The ancient Roman philosopher Cesario says this Cicero says this Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but it's the parent of all others. Now, what's a virtue? A virtue is that of moral excellency. Uh, a virtue is that of a great character. And what I believe what Cicero is saying here is that gratitude is more than just an episode. It's more than just an occurrence. It's more than just a holiday one time a year. But gratitude is a lifestyle. It's a disposition. In fact, Paul would agree because Paul says it this way. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Please note, it doesn't say be thankful. Be thankful for, for circumstances. Because there's some circumstances that are just hard to be thankful for. But in all circumstances. Be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we make it a mystery. What's God's will for me? You know, and there's this mystery of people trying to find out and discover. What is God's will for my life? Well, sometimes the Bible is plain and clear and simple. God's will for your life is that, what? You will be always joyful. That you will always be praying. And you 
will always give thanks in all your circumstances. You know, you can't deny the studies and the articles that have been written on the benefits of gratitude. There are incredible emotional, physical, and mental blessings to a life of gratitude. What is gratitude? Well, if you do a word study on gratitude, uh, we derive our English word gratitude from the Latin gratia. And gratia, when you think of gratia in the Latin, some of you Italians are out there already are thinking of, you know, gratia. And, and the Italian, I mean, the Spanish people, people out there are thinking gracias. It, it's a word that means to give thanks. It's a word of thanks. So when you look at it, gratitude means to offer thanks. Oxford language says this. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful. Readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. Not just receiving, but also giving. Now, in the word study of gratitude, if you go into the Greek, it's eucharistia. Eucharistia. And that will, for some of you, that will ring a bell. Eucharistia. Eucharistia comes from the root haras. Haras means grace. God's unmerited favor. Kindness. Favor. A loving act. A goodwill shown to you even though you don't deserve it. That's what grace is. God's unmerited favor. Favor shown to us even though we don't deserve it. And isn't it interesting that in some other faith communities, we call it the Lord's Supper or we celebrate communion. In other faith communities, they call it Eucharist. A gratitude for the grace bestowed upon them. So I've said this. Gratitude is the practice of actively remembering, not just one time a year, but it becomes a lifestyle. Gratitude is a practice of actively remembering and expressing thanks for the grace and the goodness bestowed on our lives. And that should be a lifestyle. Now, early in Scripture, in fact, early in the history of mankind, we have a witness and an example of God showing grace and one's gratitude in response to that grace. And as we approach the holiday of Thanksgiving, would you allow me to do my favorite thing? You know what my favorite thing is? On holidays, my favorite thing is to set the table. So allow me for a moment to set the table before we partake of the main course.
In Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, we read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And it was full of violence. Now in the Hebrew, that word violence is Hamas. Just saying. Hamas. Violence. And God had enough. And he went to a person by the name of Noah, a righteous man. And he says, Noah, you got to prepare yourself. So make for yourself an ark. An ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Now, we just need to stop here for a moment. Here's the appetizer. That word coat, in the King James it says, pitch it with pitch. The word in the Hebrew is kafar. Kafar, which means a coating or a covering. What was so interesting about this word kafar is that in Leviticus 17.11, it's translated atonement. Think about that. Atonement. What's an atonement? A covering. A protection. So God tells Noah to make an ark and to atone, to coat it, to cover it with pitch. Now whatever the exact nature of the pitch was, you know, we think of tar substance, but back then petroleum, you know, it was, it was some type of resin. Whatever the resin that God told Noah to put on the outside and the inside of the ark. It was an atonement. It was a covering that protected the waters of judgment from coming in. Are you with me? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ shed his blood To atone for our sins that we can be spared the judgment of God and be like Noah, safe in the ark. And then it says, the Lord shut him in. And as soon as I read that, I thought of Romans, uh, Acts 17, 28. In him we live and move and we have our being because of his atonement, because of his blood that atones for our sin. We are covered in his righteousness and we are shut in, in him. And in him we live and we move and we have our being despite the wrath. And then, with Noah and his family in the ark, we read how it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. For 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. 
And the end result, you know what the end result was? The world became like it did on the second day of creation. Just a big ball of water. And there's Noah in the ark. Now, are you ready for the main course? We read these words. But God remembered Noah. Are you getting it? But God remembered Noah. Now, I don't want you to think that when it says God remembered Noah, that he forgot about him for a while. It's not like God looked down and saw this ark bobbing around. Oh, man, I almost forgot about you guys. It's, it's nothing like that. It's not talking about memory. When it says, but God remembered Noah, it's talking about God's grace upon that family. It's talking about God's faithfulness. How many of you can identify with a time in your life where it seemed like it rained and poured for 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah. And the flood waters rose. And it seemed like it, it was all you could do is keep your head above the water. It seems like you, it's all you could do to keep your life afloat. But God remembered Rachel. God remembered Rob. God remembered Jim. God remembered Chris. God remembered Paul. God remembered you. It was in the fall of my freshman year at Bible school, Valley Forge Christian College. I had gone through a breakup. Breakups can be hurtful. And I started to question the call of God on my life. To the point where Maybe I just joined the bang wagon because there were a lot of other young people in our church getting called into ministry. And I thought, you know, it was just emotions. Was it really God? No, I think it was just my emotions that joined them. And, and maybe I really don't need to be here at Bible school. And it was just like. And I remember one Friday coming home for the weekend. I get on the turnpike, and I usually took the turnpike all the way down to Scudders Falls Bridge and came in that way to, to Jersey. But for some reason that day, I was on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and I knew if I took the northeast extension of the turnpike, I could get on 78, and I could go into Allentown, and I could come down into Easton. And as I came down into Easton, Pennsylvania, I got off this exit because I knew there was a school there, a college called the Churchman. School of Business. 
the Churchman School of Business. And I remember parking my car, getting out, and getting literature on it. And I think I was justifying to myself, at least if I leave Bible school, I can still go to a school that had the name church in it. You know what I'm saying? You always have to try to, you know, well, God, you know. I remember going home and for two weeks, man, I was just wrestling, just keeping afloat, just wrestling and wrestling with the call and everything taking place in my life. And I can honestly say I remembered the day when God remembered Jeff. God remembered Jeff. God remembered Noah. And then we read on, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a, a what? Come on. Okay, pastor, big deal. He sent the wind over the earth so the waters would recede and dry out so he could come out. He sent a wind. But if you know anything about Hebrew, the word for wind is rock. Forty times when you read the word rock, it'll be wind. The other 60 times it's in the uh, other 60 percent of the time it's in the Bible, you know what it's translated as? Spirit. So it's not just that God sent wind. God sent his spirit. Now, right away, when I, when I was reading this, I was thinking of three occurrences. Right, right in the beginning of, of, of the Bible, in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis, it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So we have this same scene as on the second day of creation. This flood where the world is just a big ball and the Spirit hovering over. In Exodus, remember when the Israelites were fleeing Egypt and they came to the Red Sea and they didn't know how they were going to get across and they heard some noise and oh no, here, here comes Pharaoh and his army. And remember, they're between a rock and a hard place. They literally have nowhere to go. And God parted the Red Sea and he sent a strong Wind, rock, spirit to hold back the waters to dry the ground so they could pass on dry ground. And of course, how can you not think of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when they were in upper room in one accord and the sound of the mighty rushing wind and God baptized them in the Holy Spirit, like we saw Sunday night. People receiving the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. What an awesome night it was. Now, why 
is this important? Well, number one, I thank God for the spirit that hovers over us. And for his mighty power. And for his defense against the evil one. But I also believe. Here, it's kind of interesting. The Old Testament foreshadows so much of how God works in the New Testament. And you can literally see the Trinity at work in the salvation of Noah and his family. Who warned Noah? Who warned Noah of the pending God? God. Who told Noah to build an ark? God. Who told Noah to get into the ark? God. It was God's prompting. And you know, Jesus said these words. That no one comes to Jesus except by the Father. In the ark, we see Noah covered with atonement. And we know the atonement is the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we see the Holy Spirit because why, what's, the, what's this part? To me, this, the spirit over the earth represents sanctification. Because the old is gone. Behold, all things are new. As he conforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, it says that the floodwaters lasted for 150 days. And you would think in your mind that when this wind came, the next morning they woke up. But they were on the ark for another 220 days. 220 days before the Lord told Noah he could come out onto dry ground. If you add it all up, Noah and his family were on the ark for about 370 days, 371 days, and around there, give or take. Now, can I... Listen, I'm always honest with you. you. You guys know my philosophy when it comes to company, right? Or when I'm a guest at someone's house. More than three days, it becomes like fish. It begins to smell. That's just the way it is. I mean, I, anyway. Could you imagine being in the ark 370 days the stench, the odor, and how everybody else got on one another's nerves. Let me be honest. I like people, but after 370 days in the ark with my family, I love them. God bless them. When the land was dry and I could get off of that ark, what would you do? Come on. Guys, it's been nice. See you later. 
Does anybody know what Noah does? I've been asking this question. Who's the first person in the Bible to build an altar? And everybody will say, Abraham. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. All the animals and all the creatures that moved along the ground and all the birds, everything that moved along the earth came out of the ark one kind after another. See you later, alligator. Then Noah, he built an altar. He built an altar. And this is the first time in scripture we see that word altar. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Oh, wait, Matt, Pastor, this is a problem here. If he only took two of every kind, and now he's making a burnt offering of these animals, he, he's making a, a certain group of animals distinct. Uh-uh, you've been reading storybooks too long. You've been listening to stories about Noah too long. Because the Bible says the Lord told him of the clean animals to take seven of every kind, both male and female. So of the clean animals, there were seven pairs. We miss that all the time. We only say two by two. No, the clean animals were seven by seven. But still, everything else has been destroyed by taking the clean animals, some of them, and offering what is Noah basically doing. He is fasting. He's giving up lunch. He's giving up dinner. He's giving up the Thanksgiving meal. He's offering food unto the Lord. And what's kind of interesting here is nowhere in Scripture has God talked about sacrifices. The first time we see a sacrifice in the, in the Bible was perhaps when the Lord sacrificed an animal for a covering for Adam and Eve. And of course, then there was Cain and Abel. Abel brought his first fruits. But Cain, what did Cain bring? He didn't bring the choice meats. He brought the fatty portion. Just the fatty portion. He, didn't, he just brought par. And the, God, and, and the Lord was mad with Cain because he didn't bring it all. That wasn't a sacrifice. Well, if you knew my son-in-law, that was a sacrifice. Holiday times, man, I'm cutting the ham. I'm cutting all the fat off. Dad, what are you doing? Give that to me. And he'll even take a little spoon and go in the ham bone and get the bone marrow. And, you know, Thanksgiving, the turkey. You know, you bring home the turkey. You put your hand in the carcass and you pull out the, the wrappings. Of all those organ meats, to Joe, that's not organ meat, that's filet mignon. (laughs) 
I'm not kidding, am I? <laughs> so sacrifice, no, that's... He, to, Abel offering the fat, that would be a sacrifice to Jeff, but not God says, I want it all. So there's no pre-order of worship. There's been no standard. In Noah, there was an innate nature of gratitude and thanksgiving. Say, God, I'm going to give you the best because of your grace that was bestowed upon me and my family. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And how does the Lord respond? Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Okay. You've had the hors d'oeuvres. You've had the main dish. Now let me give you the dessert. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 begins with these words. And God blessed Noah and his sons. God blessed him. Come on, somebody. Hey, if you've been joining us online, thank you for watching, and God bless you. And I'm going to ask our associate pastor, Pastor Matt, to come at this time with our hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving for the grace of God bestowed upon our life to lead us in the Lord's Supper.